recorded live from the wayofm.org studios in the fabulous Fetter Building in Rochester, New York. Welcome to Transformation Thursday. I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her as well. In this podcast, we take an objective look at dramatic change, and it's two transgender women. Wait, 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 Penny. Yes? What are you doing? I'm co-hosting the show just like I do every week. I'm confused. Not surprising. Cut it out. I mean, where's Amy Stevens? She's my co-host in this. Oh, she had an unavoidable conflict and couldn't make it, so she asked me to sit in today. Yes, she told me that. Me too. Cut it out. You're me. Just like you to say that. Anyways, our guest this week is comedian, uh, leftist thug, thug, and super queer punk Mike Gams. I know, I know. He's here to talk about how a nice boy from Palmyra, New York, becomes an Antifa rouser of rebels. You can go away now. I will, right after the traditional music swell, swell and fade out. talk about change, Amy. Okay, let me see. It looks like I've got three quarters, a nickel, a Canadian loony, and a few British tenors from when I was in London because I'm an international comedian. No, not that change. Change is in transformation. The topic of Transformation Thursday. Oh, yeah, that. Well, we're doing this podcast to highlight how much things change and how quickly they do it in society today. Everything changes, and change isn't good or bad. It just is. The more we realize that change is just the natural progression of things, the better off we'll be. Now, let's talk about change. Didn't we just do that? No, no, not the last one. The first one, the coins, money, about how people can give us some of theirs so that we can continue talking about ours. Are you just trying to get people to go to our Patreon page to support this podcast so that we can continue our exploration of what it means to live in a rapidly changing world? Because although this is a labor of love, we do have expenses and by going to TransformationThursday.com they can help ensure that we can continue to be bringing this fun and insightful commentary on the world today, plus get exclusive patrons-only content. Um, if I say yes, can we get on to our next segment? Oh God, I hope so. Okay then, TransformationThursday.com. Also, can you break a 20 for me? Sure, I can get that to you in euros. Okay, now you're just showing off. Los Angeles. I actually grew up in Rochester, New York. Um, yeah, one person, great. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, that's actually like really crazy uh, Buffalo Bills football country. Uh, so like both my parents were Buffalo Bills season ticket holders, and, uh, and so was I, and it sort of is in like kind of contrast to the person that I am. Um, but like I'm still like a big Bills fan to this day, and I go to like Buffalo Bills bars in different cities all around the country during, like, uh, during the games, right? The only problem is that I show up in neon blue leggings and a bill shirt that shows my nipples. Uh, and like some meathead Bills fan will like uh, want to call me a fag, but then he sees I'm rooting for the same team as him and he doesn't know what to do. Uh, like this guy was like, are your fingernails painted? And I was just like, go Bills. Uh, he looked at me the same way that my stepdad looked at me uh, in high school when I came home and told him that I had joined the track team. Uh, it's that look that says, I'm happy that you're into sports, but did you have to do it in the gayest way possible? <laughs>
That was a little bit of our in-studio guest recorded at Caroline's in April of 2017, but he's back in town. And let's welcome our special guest for today, activist, comedian, leftist thug, and <laughs> what was it, queer, uh, super queer punk? Super queer, super punk. Super queer, super... Now, is that your alter ego? Is that your superhero? Uh, well, it's kind of like a... Um a sort of queer media collective that uh, mostly exists on Facebook, but it's the super queer, super punks and friends. Uh Uh, And it's sort of um, like been an outlet for uh, a lot of my social activism, not just mine. We have like a whole team of people um, as we've been called by the KKK, the justice league of queers (laughs) we were once referred to as, which is almost better than better of a name than the super queer, super punks and friends. Yeah. That, Uh, yeah, that, by the way, and your name, of course, is Mike Gams. Mike that, Gams, yeah, yeah that's I, my we, name. We Mike got into Gams. this. We, we got into the conversation before we actually finished up with the introduction. <laughs> so, welcome to Tra- yeah. welcome to Transformation Thursday. Uh, I'm so glad that you could make it here. So, you're just in town visiting, as I understand it. Uh, sort of. I'm always kind of just visiting, uh, kind of everywhere I am, because uh, I don't really have any real permanent roots anywhere. But I uh, I grew up in the Greater Rochester area. Um, and legally, this is where I uh, call home. Um, I'm just not here very often. I spend probably like 48 weeks a year on the road and probably the other four mm. uh, out in lovely Ontario County. Yeah. Are, are you that in Victor, you said? Is that yeah. The, but yeah. you're from Palmyra. I'm from Palmyra, yeah. And uh, what was your what was your going home, home life, like life? We heard in that clip that your parents are, what, season ticket holders for the Buffalo Bills? Or at least were at one time, and you were you were a Bills fan. You're wearing a Bills sweatshirt right now. Yeah. Um, you don't really fit, and as you put in that in, in that little comment, you don't really you you don't really fit the prototypical Buffalo Bills mafia kind of uh, no. profile. <laughs> uh, that's kind of been uh, a thing for like a long time. But uh, when I was younger, I was always trying to fit into that mold like as best as I could. Even though I I've always been a square peg in a round hole, to use a cliche. Mm. expression um but when i was uh for a lot of my like time growing up i was really really trying to be that uh round peg to fit into the round hole mm-hmm. uh and got pretty good at it actually as just you know being a square peg in a round hole costume running around uh but then um once i like sort of moved away moved out to los angeles and started being able to be uh, as square peg as I wanted to be, I really sort of, uh, yes, yeah, so things changed a lot. And the reason you moved to Los Angeles was for your comedy career? Uh, kind of, uh, uh, in a roundabout way. Yeah. I moved to Los Angeles to go to uh, film school and I majored in like, uh, screenwriting and was always focused on comedy, mm-hmm. uh, and started doing stand up a little bit. Um, when I first moved to LA in like early 2000 and, uh, 2009, mm-hmm. uh, but was always more interested um, in like, uh, filmed comedy, not just like stand up comedy. I never thought like, oh yeah, I'm going to be a stand up comedian. I thought I was going to be a comedy writer or, you know, I was really trying to write like a uh, web content and, and, and go in, uh, in that way. Right. And so when, when did that change for you? Uh, was it gradual or was it like a sudden thing? Uh, the, like the focus into change into stand up. Yeah. Um, I could actually pinpoint to exactly when it was, uh, which is I'd been making a lot of different comedy sketches and had different things on YouTube. 
and I had a, a sketch where I'm playing a stand-up comedian, and it was like the first thing I had that went, went like uh, semi-viral, got like a quarter of a million views on YouTube, and then that um, that video got turned into a national TV commercial in Australia, mm. uh, and in that video, I'm playing a really bad stand-up comedian, like I'm purposely bombing, mm-hmm. uh, and then, um, yeah, so I started use that as a transition to get back into doing stand-up more because like the most popular thing I had was a video of me playing stand-up. So then <laughs> I started doing stand-up, but I was always trolling. Mm-hmm. Like I was still doing that bit all the time where I was just being purposely not funny and people couldn't tell if it was real or if I was really, really that bad at stand-up or if it was a bit. And right. that was like the joke of it. And the joke was that you're being booed, but when we get a cutaway of the of the audience, it's an actual ghost going boo. <laughs> right. Which right. was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And then that's how I uh, I wound up on uh, a friend of your show here, uh, Rachel Barnhart, had me on the um, her like afternoon show on, uh, I can't remember what channel it was then, but it was like the first at four in Rochester. And that mm-hmm. was in uh, December 2013. Right. Uh, and I went on Rachel's show and stayed in that character of a bad comedian where she was asking me, uh, were you purposely being not funny? And my all my answers were just like bad jokes back to her. Right. Yeah. And so uh, I sort of got really into this idea of like, uh, it, it became really easy for me to fall like right back into stand up because I kind of had a crutch where even if I got no laughs, that was part of the desired that was result. Your right, right, right. And then I eventually developed more characters, uh, and w- I didn't just have the the bad comedian. I had a lot of other characters where people couldn't tell if it was a bit or not, and that was kind of the joke. And I did that for a while and was doing that, doing stand up, and then slowly uh, got less scared of just being me, mm-hmm. uh, uh, not just on the microphone, but just in life in general. They all sort of kind of gradually happened uh, together. As I became more of, like, who I am as a person, I was also becoming more of who I am as a comic. Right, yeah. I've, I'm, so that was... So you actually came out on stage in a, in a way. Yeah, yeah. It helped me uh, to sort of, yeah, discover who I uh, was more. And the first time I ever, like, came out as being queer was with a joke. Uh-huh. Like, the first time I ever, like, publicly acknowledged that I'm... Like, I... Uh, identify as bisexual and the first time I ever like did that publicly was through comedy right we're gonna include some links to the videos that we're talking about on our Facebook page and our Patreon page for the listeners so you can get so you can get a look at them but that's not the only video that I've seen of you I've also seen you on CNN yeah I, I've seen you standing up like, like we were talking about earlier standing up to the Ku Klux Klan at a protest, uh, and and so, and you're you're very straightforward with your activism in these. Uh, you're 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 pulling no punches. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know uh, what it is about uh, about me that makes me uh, do that, but um, yeah, I've often been told that that I, <laughs> I I like pull no punches and just go like straight for it. Like uh, the one that um, video you're talking about where I'm uh, dressed like Spider-Man and I helped shut down a KKK rally in Madison, Indiana, and then made it on CNN. Uh, that's actually like the fifth or sixth white supremacist rally I've been to at least, uh, where I'm not only calling out the white supremacists, but the law enforcement that protect white supremacists and the whole systems that protect, uh, oppressors and just all of this in general, like, cause it's not just like, it's easy to be like, oh, the KKK are bad, 
like, but it's also the whole system. I think that's you know rotten. Yeah. Uh, so how many? So five you've gone. How many have you gone to now so far? Um, I would have to count. Let's see. So that particular group that was in Madison that I got on CNN for. Uh, that's the second time I've confronted that group. Um, I went to a another KKK rally in um, uh, Stone Mountain Park, Georgia, in uh, earlier this year. Actually, that was in February. Mm. Uh, in January, I was at the Boston Women's March, where a group of neo Nazis tried to interrupt the Women's March. Uh, I was also at Trump's inauguration, which is a, the biggest KKK rally I've been to. Uh, not that big. I've seen the pictures. Yeah, it's yeah. not as big as you thought it was. Not as big as they say, but it, I'm just saying that yeah. it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah I understand. Uh, and um, uh, then I was also at the uh, one-year anniversary of Charlottesville, which mm. um, they didn't get permitted to be in Charlottesville. They got permitted to be in Washington, D.C., and hundreds and hundreds of police officers uh, coordinated to uh, safely bring these white supremacists who had murdered a woman the year before, celebrating the one-year anniversary of when they murdered someone, uh, got a private train through Washington, D.C., and an escort through the city, uh, and me and several other peoples got pepper sprayed as a result of uh, standing up to that or trying to call out, like, what, what, what's going on here that we have white supremacists being marched through our quote unquote nation's capital by hundreds and hundreds of armed, uh, you know, state agents. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty, that's, that's pretty depressing. To, to it have is. That. And that's really like the, the one thing that I could say that almost every single one of these white supremacist gatherings have in common is that, uh, every single time white supremacists gather, the police show up in full force to protect the white supremacists. Like uh, I've been to several like black lives matter rallies and rallies that are on our side, right? When people are on our, our side are talking, the, the cops surround us and point their guns inward at us. But when the KKK throw rallies, the cops surround them and point their guns outwards at us. Hmm. Like we're the threat. No matter the, which side you're on. Well, yeah. We're, yeah. No matter which side of, of it we're on, the um, people that are standing up to hate are the ones that are uh, being watched by law enforcement at these events. Yeah, that's that's pretty sad. And I was actually I tangentially I and I'm going to I'm going to mangle this quote, but I saw a quote today by Abby Hoffman. Who okay. was original uh, one of the founders of the Yippie Party mm-hmm. that said the the measure of a free society is not how it treats it the treat the people that agree it agrees with them it's how it treats the people that it, that that protest mm-hmm. and that's kind of a that's kind of a telling bit of information right there right so how did you, where did you start this activism did it start at the same time that they kind of organically uh, the com- the comedy and the activism. Well, um, I had been getting more involved uh, in my like with my comedy and like trying to push um, more and more uh, ideas through my comedy and just in my life. But what like really um, sort of changed the course from being a hundred percent focused on stand-up comedy uh, to being way more focused on activism with like stand-up comedy as a side dish uh, was uh, when I went out to Standing Rock, North Dakota, in two thousand and sixteen. Mm. Uh, and so I, I was out there. Uh, two different times uh, over the course of the winter, uh, once for like a week and once for several weeks. Um, and kind of from there, I just never stopped. Like uh, I had just been from that moment, I just kind of full time was focused on 
uh, activism. Like from there, I was there until almost the end of December 2016. And then a few weeks later was uh, at Trump's inauguration in January. And then just it just uh, sort of snowballed from there where uh, I realized that I could use the voice and platform that I had been been slowly building as a comedian. I could use it for things that were way more important than me just like telling stupid jokes about my underwear and stuff like that. Which you do do fairly well still. I still do. Yeah, I still do a lot of uh, stand up and uh, I sort of try to find a, a balance between the two of them and try to use like my ability to be able to tell jokes, which is something I've been working on for like over a decade and uh, sort of incorporate that in the way that I'm doing activism by trying to bring some humor to it. Even like when I'm screaming at like a KKK member, there's still some level of like it is still kind of funny, but not not funny at the right. same time. More like pointing out the the the, the ludicrousness of the situation. Right. So I guess my question is uh, a lot of people because I remember Standing Rock. I remember so many of the the protests that you've talked about. What is it in you that said, fuck it, let's go and 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 just picked up and and went there? Yeah, that was there if before you went to Standing Rock, how much activism were you doing? I mean, there's there's like the armchair stuff, but then there's actually boots on the ground thing. Right. That is that that is a that is a very strong commitment to it. And where did that come from? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it has been slowly uh, building. Like in 2015 and 2016, I was getting a lot more involved in uh, politics, or at least just getting more articulate in what my thoughts and ideas were. And I had been out traveling around um, doing stand-up and had been touring and uh, part of what used to dictate where I would be would be whatever was like the most fun thing or like the biggest thing I would like try to be at. Like I went to uh, New Orleans for Mardi Gras and like I would be in Chicago for Riot Fest when it was there and and sort of like uh, Halloween on New York City and just sort of had all these events that I was sort of just find my way to because I was out traveling. I didn't have an apartment anywhere, just sort of a free floating around and could sort of build my own sort of schedule based on where I wanted to be. And it was in like October of 2016. Um, uh, everything was going on at uh, Standing Rock. And I remember, this is really funny, but the Chicago Cubs just won the World Series that year, right? right. And I remember like looking up bus tickets and being like, oh man, how can I get to Chicago by next week? Because I want to go to that parade. That would be like a really gnarly thing to be at. There'd be It'd be like all kinds of fun, all kinds of people would be um, you know, it would just be like an event, something like that I, at that moment I thought was worth going to. And then I caught myself and I was like, you're trying to jump through all these hoops and move around your schedule to go to a damn baseball parade. Like there's way more like important things that you could be doing. And I realized that I had this ability that most people didn't have. Most of the, my friends that were like posting about standing rock or talking about it were like, Oh man, I really wish that I could get out there. But you know, I have this job or this family or this house or this commitment. And I was like, I don't have any of those things stopping me. The only thing that's stopping me from getting on a bus and going to North Dakota is me. And so I just decided right there, uh, right when I watched the Chicago Cubs win the World Series, I was just like, I'm going to Standing Rock. And I figured out uh, how to coordinate my tour to bring me up to that part of the country uh, and did some shows along the way, like in Minnesota. Um and made it as far as Minnesota, and I met a comic there, who this was right around uh, that holiday that they call Thanksgiving. It's right around that time 
And I actually thought this is the, the perfect time that I need to like to get up there. And so uh, I met a comic at Minnesota and they had family in North Dakota that they were going to visit for the holiday. So they were driving through North Dakota and we're going to be about uh, at the closest town to the Standing Rock Reservation. So I got them to drop me off at a gas station in Mandan, North Dakota at two in the morning, uh, which was still a good 40 minute drive from where the water protector camps were in Standing Rock, like uh, on the reservation land. And uh, I just had them drop me off there with all my stuff in the middle of the night um, and tried to figure it out from there. And I was really scared, too, because this was right around November 23rd ish in 2016. And a few days before that was the day that um, the North Dakota uh, police used water cannons in the middle of the night in freezing temperatures on a whole bunch of water protectors, you know, women, children, grandparents like it, it was this. Really terror, terror it was, thing. It was one of the the most terrifying moments from Standing Rock that got the most like national media attention. I think like even Bernie Sanders like retweeted the video from that day. And it really uh, it, this was after I'd already decided to go there and was getting on a bus in Ohio to head to Chicago, then to Minnesota, mm -hmm. then to North Dakota. And I was watching this happen, being like, man, I should just get off this bus right now. And then just decided to do it anyways. And so here I am just sitting in the gas station at two in the morning, uh, trying to find someone that's going to the camp, but also very aware of like security culture and that there's infiltrators and there's people that you can't trust. And there's a lot of people there that absolutely hate what's going on. There's a whole lot of racists in that town that's adjacent to the Standing Rock Reservation. And they're really pissed about what's going on there. So I could ask someone for a ride and it could be someone that's going to leave me on the you know, side of the road in a snowbank. Mm. Um, and I happened to just by chance meet someone who kind of trusted me enough to, that I talked to them a little bit. And it turns out they used to do stand-up comedy in North Dakota. <laughs> uh, and then uh, they ended up giving me a ride and dropping me off uh, at the camp in the middle of the night, like three or four in the morning. Wow. And, uh, I, I, and this was actually... The night before Thanksgiving, or, or what they call Thanksgiving, uh, and so it was. I get there in the middle of the night, and I just found somewhere warm in the dark to just like inside like a community area. Didn't know anybody, anything going on. Just like got a couple hours sleep until the sun came up, and then uh, and then there I was, and then just sort of learned like trying to figure out what was going on and. Just learn from there, yeah. So you just walked up to someone and said, hey, I'm a stand-up comedian, but I want to be here, and, and now what can I do? Uh, kind of. Um, I, uh, I didn't necessarily come out like, oh, yeah, I'm a comedian. I'm here to make jokes. I uh, also had been starting to get more into doing sort of what you call gonzo journalism, where I was right. doing a lot of, like, live videos and, and, and coverage of stuff. Like, I actually started earlier in the month um, – I was covering election day in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, and the areas outside of it, thinking that this was actually like, there was no way that Donald Trump was going to win. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I wanted to talk to Trump supporters, uh, and see the look on their face when they saw the results coming in right. and it, it didn't really work out the way I thought. Yeah. I, uh, I, 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 yeah. I have a similar story myself, but you know, yeah, uh, it was like, I mind, I was, uh, we're Rochester, Susan B. Anthony's grave. So, right. Uh, I went and I voted, and I had just just 
uh, come out and started living full time in October of 2015. Mm. And so this is like a little more than a year of being myself. And this was the first election that I actually vote because because in November of 2015, I still I think I was I I went to a bike for a bike ride and then I went to vote and so I was in my biking gear so I was fairly androgynous but this was the first time I went as myself mm. to to vote and then I went to Mount Hope Cemetery to put my uh, sticker on the Susan B Anthony grave and mm-hmm. I waited in line for like two and a half hours to get there and and I and I did that and there was like a photographer from the New York Times there said can we use your picture tomorrow morning and I was like yeah sure and all that stuff and I was really excited about that and I went home and I was like I don't I'm not going to listen to the to the results I'm just going to sit here I'm going to read a book and I'm going to enjoy my evening feeling really good about my life and about the future and then I woke up the next morning and I turned on NPR and it was not what I expected right and it was like oh my gosh and I just started doing a show called Spy in the House of Men, my first show. Uh, a one-woman show with, with balls. Yeah, darn yeah, tootin'. Yeah, yeah so, I heard about that. Yeah, and so I, and it was really well-received, and I thought that was like a one-time thing. And uh, then I, I, that was the, that summer. I spent the summer touring doing that show because I wanted people to, like, I, I, I felt that this was a good way to get people to, to, to try and normalize mm-hmm. what it means to be, to be queer. Transgender right. or what in whatever form it was, and I kind of like a rear guard thing is the way I looked at it. Um, it's but that's my story, not yours. And this no, is that's a great story. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I had a you know, like I said, I was having a similar experience where I totally expected it to be much different than it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had heard about this, um, armed militia that was based out of uh, about an hour from Georgia. Uh, which I now know a lot more about. But at the time, I just saw a report about this armed militia who were, like, taking up arms because they were Trump supporters, but they were like, no matter what happens, there's going to be a civil war, and we want to be armed and prepared. Yeah. So I was really, like, trying to kind of... I was ve- I wanted to... I was trying to infiltrate these people and sort of, like, poke fun at them, but also, like, expose that these people uh, existed. And... I almost um, w- was supposed to meet a person named General Blood Agent, is what they go by, on election day to watch the election results, which I thought was going to be like the peak of humor because these people were just going to be seeing the results coming in right. and they were going to lose. Um, but at the last second, um, I think they did some vetting and uh, we're like, yeah, we're not going to talk to this Mike Gams guy. Uh, so I went to the the county that they live in, and I went to the Republican Party like viewing party, mm-hmm. and it was as sad as I like expected it to be. This was like early in the evening where uh, I talked to some of the like officials from the Republican Party that were like sort of hosting it, and their sort of sentiment was like, uh, "We're just really excited about our local candidates, and we're out here to support them." And uh, you know, they didn't really have high hopes for right. the election. Even they thought that like. There was no chance that Trump was going to win. So I hung out there for a minute, and then I went to the Atlanta, Georgia Democratic Party viewing mm-hmm. party, which was a big party. Everyone was celebrating, had pretty much started corking the champagne right? Uh, until the results started coming in. And then it got to be like the saddest, most depressed place I've ever been in my life. Right. Um, but I had been covering this, like I've been doing live videos and, and recording footage 
all day. Um, so once it's, it, it was apparent that Trump was going to win, I found where the Young Republicans of Atlanta viewing party was mm-hmm. and tried to get over there. And I got kicked out like almost immediately. But I have a little bit of footage from there. But let me go. Uh, let me guess. It's like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. yeah. They could tell. They, they were just like, you're not supposed to be here. Like they right. had security that could tell. Right. And I had been changing my clothes throughout the day. Like when I was in going to the Republican Party, I was just wearing like jeans and like a pretty nondescript shirt mm-hmm. and not too hippied out or, or anything like that. Not, not like how I would normally dress and sort of blending in. But. When I went to the uh, the Democratic Party, uh, party, I had become back to my normal self again, my actual how I would dress. Uh, so when I showed up at, at the Young Republicans viewing party late in the night, I was still in my in my me. Right. Uh, uh, like I had flower print pants on. Like right. they knew as soon as I walked in the door, I wasn't one of them, you know. Right. And they just asked you to leave. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so I had already started doing like um, some journalism stuff and then I was covering a lot like as I was traveling I stopped in Chicago uh and it was uh they had you know anti-Trump protests like right after uh you know he won there was all kinds of things there still is but there was all kinds of events so I was covering those along the way up to Standing Rock and then uh so when I got there I um I checked in as like a journalist and had like a, a letter uh that was like showing that I did media and stuff like that and was just up there with my cell phone camera and a bunch of spare batteries uh, were trying to get footage of what was going on and, and try to report some some truth. Because up until that point, my thought was, I, it's hard to tell what the truth is unless you see it like for your, for myself is kind of how I felt about it. Because there's so much misinformation being just put out about everything. And that's what, uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's how I wound up there. And then I spent a week there and was planning to just be there for a week and then go about my tour and continue doing stand-up. But then I canceled, like, the rest of my shows after that and found a way, and, like, rescheduled it so I could come back and then stay longer. Um, and then I stayed At Standing for, Rock. In Standing Rock, yeah. And I stayed for most of the month of December. Uh, and when I was there, it was negative 20 degrees. And was uh, I spent a few nights in a tent when it was negative 20 degrees out in the negative 40s with the wind chill. And, wow. Yeah. And how were the people to that you were you were there with not not the, the the protesters the 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 indigenous people how were they to you uh i yeah i had a um i was you know welcomed um uh yeah i was welcomed uh, just fine in fact uh the second time i went back up the first time i was there i actually um met a family that uh lived in the community that weren't just there for the the um the protest they, this is their community right um and i was one of the first people that they actually met that was there just like for the protest because they're just going about their daily lives and trying to get by every day like like any other day and they're supportive of what's going on but a lot of the people in that community didn't have the privilege of being able to stop what they were doing and go spend all their time at the camp right if that makes sense so I, yeah so the first time i was there i actually met uh, a family that lived in the community and they said if you ever come back you could stay with us at our house uh so the second time when i was there for um, like three to four weeks through most of the month of December. Um, a lot of it, I was staying in the community on the reservation with a family that's from there, born and raised there. And, you know, this is their backyard. This whole thing is happening in. Wow. Were there any points where you were afraid for your life or, or with the, how much of the, how much of the, cause I, I've seen, I saw a video of like, 
uh, people on horseback coming in and terrorizing you, the yeah. water cannons. Yeah. Uh, how how dangerous did it feel to be there protesting? Uh, me myself, I didn't witness like personally any of the really really scary gnarly um, things, but I did see uh, a few altercations. Um, like uh, in the middle of the night, the police would. Uh, there always there was always a battle over where the line was. Where like the police are trying to move the line ten feet forward, mm -hmm. and you know we're trying to move ten feet this way and back and forth. Uh, and in the middle of the night, one night the police put up a barbed wire fence on the other side of like a stream where it had been on the previous side of the stream. So they're approaching like across uh, to people, and people were trying to take down this. Um, a barbed wire fence with a grappling hook mm. from like across the water in the middle of the night. Uh, and the cops uh, saw this and came down and there was like, that was the scariest moment for me was there was, uh, it was just a lot of words, but they were pointing guns at us from across the water, like, uh, and people up on top of the hill with big giant spotlights. And um, it wasn't the most of most intense of things that happened up there. There was way, way more intense things that happened to, some of my friends and other people that were up there. Uh, but I was, uh, I did experience at least one confrontation with the police, but not where anyone was injured or arrested, but just you could feel the tension um, because this had been going on every night for several months. You're not afraid of confrontation either. I've noticed no. that on some of your videos. There's a video of you on a bus with a border patrol agent. Yeah, that's here were, in Rochester. Where you were shouting out? Yeah, yeah. So that's actually the video I've had that has the most views of anything I've done. It's between Facebook and Twitter. It's got uh, a half a million views. And that was in August of 2018, right here in Rochester at the Greyhound station. And two Border Patrol agents came on the bus and started harassing people about their um, immigration and their papers. Uh, and it, it was really early in the morning, and it took me a second. I, my first instinct when I see law enforcement is to immediately start recording them. Uh, and then after about a, a minute, I sort of remembered, like realized the situation that I was in, and I stood up and I was like, you don't have to tell them anything. You have rights. These people are the modern-day Gestapo and, and all that. And... Uh, yeah, I sort of get courage in the face of authority sometimes. Uh, sometimes too much, but yeah. Wow. Is that something you want to do more of, is the, the educational part, the, uh, the ability to, to, you know, the, the, that sort of protest, which is much more useful? Yeah, yeah, we're informing people of their rights and, and things like that. Yeah, um, I would like to... Um, and I, I try to uh, be educated about what it is that I'm covering when I'm covering it. And so instead of just doing like a live footage of a protest where there's people like doing things, I also will, will talk to the camera and sort of vlog during it and try to uh, educate about what's going on. And, and not just in a specific way about this particular instance, but like the national and global impact of it all yeah. and ramifications and how it all comes together. But like that bus one was completely unplanned. I just, I was on the bus. I was traveling. I was going down to New York city from here in Rochester and then border patrol agents just happened to come on, on onto the bus that I happened to be on. And I realized that like, I do have this platform and I'm able to get information out. And so I just, it, yeah. So it, 
I just sort of, yeah, just sort of sprung to action, mm-hmm. uh, but it wasn't one that was planned. In an ideal world, I would have done things a lot differently that day on the bus, where I would have been more on point with the educational aspects of it and really knowing the right thing to say to tell people. Um, yeah, but uh, at the time, it was just like I just sprung to action. Well, these guys are scary. Yeah, they're very. I was my one encounter with similar encounter with that was at the uh, Amtrak station here in Rochester. I was, my kids and I were going down to um, Albany where my brother lives and we were taking the train and we normally we drive, but this time we were taking the train and we were sitting there waiting. And all of a sudden this, this person in full battle rattle, you know, the, with the, you know, Kevlar vest and mm-hmm. the fatigues and the very large, very, you know, the very large, scary gun strapped across his chest was walking along and to say, you know, who are, you know, where are you from and where are you going? Yeah. The people along the lines. And they got to, and it was, I was with my, my son and my daughter, uh, who I think were, you know, like in like fifth and seventh grade at the time. And my, they, you know, it's like my, they asked my daughter first and she said, you know, I'm from Rochester, I'm going to Albany. And said, I'm from Rochester, I'm going to Albany. And they got to my son, seventh grader, who looked up at him and in this Slavic accent goes, uh, my country, it no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs> and I was terrified. Yeah. Cause it was like, this is a guy that could, you know, could fuck you up if he needed to, if he wanted to. And this was even before Trump. Mm-hmm. The, then I just never imagined that I would live in a country where you would be stopped and asked questions by show me your papers. Yeah. Show you know? me your papers sort of stuff. So yeah, it's, it's great that you're doing this. Yeah. And are you incorporating this into your comedy? Uh, or I've been, are you I've, still keeping them separate? I've been, I, I've always, uh, I've kind of struggled with that for the last few years. Like it, it, it's been harder and harder for me to write material because some of it's so heavy where it takes a lot of backstory to able to in order to be able to do it. But I, I have been, and particularly more lately, I've been trying to incorporate it uh, more where I've been telling stories. Like I, I have actually told the story about the, uh, the where I ended up on CNN with the KKK in, mm-hmm. in, in Madison. I, I've told that story a couple times on stage since it's happened, and I'm starting to find a way to make it informative and funny because uh, sometimes it's too heavy and right. sometimes I don't want to make it too much of a joke because it's, it's very serious things. Right. Um, I did uh, have one thing I, I thought of. Um, you were, you were saying about how it, it like takes courage or something to stand up to uh, these people. Um, a lot of it comes that from that. I'm aware that I have a lot of privilege. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a, I'm a white cis dude and I could get away with so much more shit than most people. And I've right. seen it on the front lines. I've seen where, you know, I'm not going to be the one. Well, it's happened to me before. I have been beat up and arrested, but not generally. Not as much. Not as much. For for the amount of shit that I've talked, it's pretty surprising. I've only been beat up by one cop, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, But a lot of that comes from, like, I do have uh, a lot of privilege in, in that regard. And... I've been trying to find out, like, find ways that how can I, like, weaponize my privilege for good. Yeah. Uh, and and even just that there's, um, like, things that I would learn at Standing Rock or from other uh, people, sometimes they'll get way more attention when they come out of my mouth than somebody else's mouth. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's just echoing other people's platforms that are being, um, like, you know, diminished or just ignored or are using my platform to bring on 
other people. Like, uh, usually when I do coverage of things, I don't just talk to the camera myself. I want to find somebody else to elevate their voice and bring right. them onto my page too. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, that's what I call the, the proper use of power. You know, the, the, for me, the, the, my definition of the proper use of power is that you are, is to first make things safe for those who have less power. Right. And that's what you can do as a, as a, as a person with privilege and privilege is power. That's the first use of power. The second use of course is to give away all that you don't need. And it looks like you're doing both of those. Yeah. Things. I don't really have much left to give away. Well, you, if you, you want some leggings, you could have them. <laughs> <laughs> and some, and some children's underwear, I believe. Uh, children's underwear. I have a lot of that too. Yeah, so, you yeah. know. You're it's, not a large dude. No, so, I'm not. So yeah. you, you get to, you get to rock the Garanimal stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I get, I got a lot of good Spider-Man stuff because you know, yeah. I could shop in the, Kids section, the men's section, the women's section, the you know whatever. Right. Which you know they shouldn't really. I, I'm a, I'm a testament that they we don't need these lines in our clothing stores anyways. You right. know it should be arranged by you know size, not necessarily these ideas of gender and Absolutely. all that stuff. Absolutely. But that's a whole other topic. You know we're preaching to the choir exactly. here. Exactly. Sure. So what's next for you? Uh that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm I'm kind of uh, curious about a lot of things that are going on here in Western New York specifically. Um, I don't know how much you pay attention to uh, the electoral politics in the area, but like I said, um, I do uh, legally live in uh, in Ontario County, which is uh, the New York Congressional District 27, mm -hmm. and um, my congressman was a man named Chris Collins. I remember who, that. Yeah. Name. Yeah, so Chris Collins won his re-election uh, in November of last year, despite being indicted by the FBI on seven counts of insider trading. Yeah. Uh, and then a few weeks ago, he decided to change his plea from not guilty to guilty and then resigned as the congressperson. So District 27 in New York has no congressperson. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's perhaps going to be a, uh, well, there is going to be a special election in April to fill that seat. And I'm kind of curious about perhaps possibly pursuing the idea of maybe perhaps getting more involved in electoral politics. That's it's a very interesting. That's a very and that, even if even if you don't even if you don't get much. I mean, just getting that voice out there and getting yeah. yourself heard this way might be a wonderful platform for you. Yeah. So I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm sort of curious. So I'm kind of uh, looking into in what ways I could get more involved. Uh, in that, because um, it's a it's a really interesting district because it's the I think either the ninth or tenth widest district in America, mm -hmm. uh, and it purposely doesn't include the city of Rochester or Monroe County or the city of Buffalo, and it's just the area in between those two cities, perfectly gerrymandered so that it went two to one for Trump in 2016. Right. Yeah. So it's like a really rich, really white, really Republican district. Uh, and there's also a long history of white supremacy and, uh, KKK and all kinds of stuff like that in the districts. Like there's this one specific town called Townline, New York. Are you familiar with this town? No. So uh, I'll tell you real quick. Um, it's really interesting because Townline, New York is about, you know, just outside of Buffalo and it is the last town in the country to rejoin the United States after the Civil War. <laughs> um, despite being just outside of Buffalo in New York State, 
they voluntarily decided to vote to join the Confederacy despite them not even being like a full municipality. They're just like a Hamlin or something like that. And they seceded from the United States. They seceded from the United States during the Civil War, and they did not rejoin the United States until the 1940s when the president wrote them a letter and asked them to rejoin the United States. And then uh, the official uh, badge of their fire department had an American flag and a Confederate flag on that badge until 2012. Uh, and so it might explain why you see so many Confederate flags in upstate New York. I mean, yeah. not just because of that, but there's also a historical tie to this sort of hate. Like yeah. they, they're in, they're outside of New York and they joined the Confederacy right. just because they wanted slaves. Are you familiar much. with the Pase Comitatus? I am not. Uh, you should Google them. They're they they were in. Uh, like I believe they, they they started in Fishers, New York, but it's another. It's one of those. Uh, very um, ornery, I guess is the best way to to put it. Groups um, mm. that's out there uh, that this is this is a very very old group that believes that anything that was not written in the in the uh, Constitution as mm. they interpret it is not not proper. I so, see. So they're, yeah, they're they're almost they're like the Confederate the the C the the, the CSA before the United States was a was a was a United States it was a Confederate states. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they are pretty nasty. So that's something yeah. you may want to take a look at. Definitely. Too. I know that like, if you were to look at the Southern Poverty Law Center's like, um, hate group map, mm-hmm. there's, uh, as many in Western New York, like per capita as there is in most places in the South. Yeah. And there's this myth that racism and bigotry only exists in the South. And sure, there's a lot of, you know, racists and bigots in the South, but they're everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah, I used to. Yeah. I, I went to grad school in North Carolina, and I had a, a friend who was from Greenville, and you know, pretty nice guy. We hung out a lot, and at one point, we got to talk about racism, and he said, "The only difference between us and you is we're, you know, you guys are. I think I said y'all are much more clever about hiding it." Is yeah, what he said. yeah, that's really what it is, you yeah. know. And you can see that in Rochester too. I yeah, mean, the it's you know the the fact that the the city of Rochester is so highly concentrated mm-hmm. in in black and highly uh, segregated. Highly, yeah, and even other places that you don't even don't even think about. You you're familiar with a can of worms, right? You're, yeah. The can of worms existed because there were no black neighborhoods to to run over in that area, and the people in that area did not want. To give up their property, so the, the the person who designed that interchange had a very very small amount of room to, to put it in. I see. And it was because the interstate was also racist. It was yeah. Like, that was part of the red line. It's like we'll go through the black neighborhoods, and so the so the white neighborhoods can can thrive. And there weren't anything at that particular interchange, and that's why it was so messy. Yeah. There were no blacks to exploit. So anyhow. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, I just, I just want to, as as a as a little bit of local. Um, local hi- history about uh, heinous people to elect. Uh, Collins wasn't even, wasn't even the worst. The worst, of course, was Bill Nojay. Okay. Bill Nojay was reelected, uh, I think, two months after he committed suicide rather than be indicted for a Ponzi scheme. I see. And he still got elected as because the Republican Party was like, well, Bill would want you to vote for him anyway. 
And yeah. so, yeah, that's that's another one. But anyhow, so I'm really glad that you stopped by yeah, and, and talked too. with us. Uh, Mike Gams, it's been a real pleasure. And if you do end up running, maybe we can get you back on here and talk about that some more. Yeah, that would be good. Like I said, as of right now, I'm only potentially, possibly, maybe considering the idea of perhaps getting more involved in electoral politics. But Right. But, uh you know, you, who knows what will uh, 2020 will have in order. Yeah. So, Mike, thank you very much for being here. And uh, we'll be back with a couple of last thoughts. Well, I'll be back because Mike's going to go home <laughs> in just a minute or two. Thank you very much, Mike. Well, thank you. If you'd like to support Transformation Thursday, you can do so in the following ways. On Facebook, like the Transformation Thursday podcast to support us financially. You can do so by going to our Patreon page by typing www.transformationthursday.com into your browser of choice. On Spotify, Google Podcasts, and or Apple Podcasts, please subscribe to Transformation Thursday. And on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating and write us a short review. It's free, and it really helps to get Transformation Thursday out to a broader audience. Finally, Transformation Thursday is copyrighted material, all rights reserved, 2019. Well, that's our show for today. I want to thank Penny? Mike Gams for coming in Penny? and talking to us. Penny, what? Okay, first, I want to thank Mike Gams for being here. He was really cool and a lot of fun to talk to. But I also want to say how really cool it was to be able to do that knock-knock bit instead of having someone do it to me. <laughs> yeah, that must have been nice. And I also want to remind our listeners that our wonderful hosts for this podcast, WAYOFM, are in the midst of their annual pledge drive. Oh, that's right, Penny. Hey, can I do the radio voice? Well, it's not very feminine, but it is appropriate. Go ahead. That's right, Penny. The WAYO 2020 fundraising campaign is officially on with new perks, new special events, and more member benefits than ever before. Their goal this year is $25,000. Oh my, that's a lot. You're darn tootin' it is, but they can do it one donation at a time. Just head to WAYOFM.org and click on the big honkin' Donate to Wayo banner and tell them how much you want to give. They've got a whole bunch of cool thank you gifts that you can select at a wide range of donation levels. Plus, at any donation level, you get a WAYOFM membership card, which will get you a plethora of perks at a lot of lovely local businesses. Pretty peppy pros, Penny. This pledge drive runs until midnight on Friday, November 8th, 2019. But even if you're listening to this podcast after that date, WAYO will still be happy to take your money. It's community radio, so the more the community gives, the better the radio is. And you'll still get the membership card with all the rights and privileges and discounts it affords. Well, that's all the time we have for tonight's show. Thanks again to Mike Gams for this time, and we'll be back again next week, as will I, stop it with another fantastic episode of Transformation Thursday. And hey, don't forget to go to TransformationThursday.com, our Patreon page, and help supply the money we need to keep this thing going. Good night, Penny. Good night, me. You know, you're looking pretty cute tonight. What are you doing later? Sorry, you're not my type. <sighs>